How y'all doing? Good? Good? Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Oh, man. It's been, uh, like, it's no, it's like November tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Two days from now. Tuesday. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm still relatively young, uh, not, like, baldness notwithstanding. But have you guys noticed that time, like, speeds up? In like a really weird way, like, like middle school took forever, and it was only two years, and I've been here two years, and it feels like it's been a week, and so yeah, I just, it's something I'm still like processing, like I just, time is weird, <laughs> time's just kind of funky, but uh, this morning, aside from uh, having a a message here in a moment that I believe God has, has given me to, to share with you this morning. I have the opportunity to tackle our next in our long line of core values uh, that we uh, agreed on and that we worked through as, as part of the, the rebranding process we went through this year. And when I say rebranding, one of the things that if you were in those meetings, you know, but if you weren't, I want to cue you in. It wasn't just a name. It wasn't just a tagline, or a slogan, or a new logo, or some colors. As a matter of fact, all of those things are really secondary to identifying what is the DNA of this church, and what has God called this church to be and to do, right? Every church is supposed to do the Great Commission, right? Every church is supposed to evangelize. Every church is supposed to disciple. So if we focus on saying that, that's great, but why this church? Why us? Why does God want us here in this community? And that was one of the things that we, uh, hopefully, by the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we tackled for like a five-month thing. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a long process, but it was so worth it and so valuable. And the, uh, the, the core value that I get to talk to you about right now is generosity. And it's... Uh, uh, I'm going to a verse in uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, chapter 9. I will get there. You will maybe get there before me, but by the grace of God, you'll wait for me, I'm sure. <laughs> so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. It's a passage that is frequently used when we talk about tithes and offerings, but it is so much more than that. Starting in verse 6, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that passage, and, and I think it's, it's great when we use it when we're talking about tithes and offerings, and it's absolutely true, but I think that it also applies to the church not just to the people on Sunday morning who are thinking about what they're going to put in the offering plate that's passing around, but in our church, in this community, are we being generous? With more than just our money, but the helping text that we came up with, time, treasure, and talent, right? We do that through volunteerism. We do that through uh, 
helping out after Hurricane Ian and, and some of like the, the, the talent, right, sending uh, some money to Grace Church, sending uh, food and money for Hunger Action Month in September, sending the books to the Polk County Correctional Facility this past week. Uh, this church is, how do I say this, disproportionately generous. I've been in a lot of churches, some smaller than this one, some larger than this one. And this church, by far, regardless of size, is the most open to generosity that I've ever experienced. It wasn't until I came here that I knew that Pastor Appreciation Month was even a thing. And I've been in ministry for like 13 years. <laughs> and, and so I thought it was like, oh, this is like a neat thing that, that, that we do at, at Pine Castle, now Belle Isle Community Church. But I was like, this is just like a, an interesting, funky thing. Like, cool, yeah, people are going to write me notes and... It's all going to go to my head. I'm going to get really arrogant, and it's going to be great. <laughs> and then I found out that, like, no, Pastor Appreciation Month is, like, a thing and has been for quite a long time. It's just the other churches that I had served with didn't prioritize it, didn't value it. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's still October, and there's going to be a thank you that, that we're putting together for all of you. But I also just want to take a moment, like, face-to-face -face with you guys. And just say that, that Hannah and I have been so blessed by each and every one of you. I've been to a lot of churches that say they're a family. This church actually acts like it. I love you guys. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, that's enough sappiness. If you uh, have your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, you can turn to Psalm 95. We're going to get there in just a minute. And, uh, of course, in, in my Bible, uh, Psalm 95, the first verse is, like, on one page. And then I'm going to have to turn in the middle of it, so that's always fun and distracting. It's going to be okay. I think I can get through this hardship. <laughs> so, uh, praise and worship the sermon title, How to Worship a King. I stole from someone else. It's a book. Uh, if, you, if you Google it, you can, you can find it. You can read it. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily agree with everything in the book, but I think that it's important to read viewpoints that you don't always agree with and, and challenge the things that you believe about, uh, about worship, about praise, about uh, generosity, about giving, about what church should look like. It's important that at no point any of us feel like we have it 100% right. And then like, when I get to heaven, you know, he's not going to be like, well, Amanda, Lear, you got like 90% of the way there. Uh, Hannah, 65%. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm going to walk up to the pearly gates and they're going to be like, you know what, John? 100%. You know, like that's not going to happen. Like I was making those jokes. I'm probably at like 2%, right? Like, like it's, it's allowing ourselves to change our mind when we are presented with new information. That's accurate. That's important. But if we don't challenge ourselves, we don't grow. And that is evident all throughout scripture. And so even if you do read this book, even if I can't say I agree with 100% of it, I do believe that God can use that time and that diligence and that time of study and entering into his presence to reveal truth to you. And so it's a neat book. Check it out if you want to. 
But when I read this back in like 2014, uh, it challenged me in a few ways and really got me to, to like really ask myself, okay, what is worship? How do we worship? Why do we worship? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a story that I'm going to finish later so that you guys, you know, can't leave in the middle of my sermon when I offend you. Because you're just going to be like, what's the end of the story, John? Uh, when I was in, like, my like, sophomore year of high school, I was, like, 16 years old, and uh, my brother, uh, Nathan, who was the best man at my wedding, I've got four older brothers, he's one of them, uh, he uh, was going to this young adult service. It was on Tuesday evening, and I was not a young adult, I was a youth, but my parents wanted alone time. And so for like a year and a half, I went with him to the young adult group so they could have a Tuesday evening to themselves. And for a long time, I hated it. Why did I hate it? Because it was the first time I had been to a church service where the worship just kind of went on and on and on. And sometimes the sermon was two minutes long. Sometimes there wasn't a sermon but the worship just kept going, and I was just so bored as a 16-year-old guy in high school that at this point in his life had not yet heard the call to ministry and wanted to be an author, live, and you guys can ask anyone on staff because I talk about it, I wanted to live in a cabin in the woods in Montana, writing books so I didn't have to interact with people for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm doing so well, aren't I? And uh, while, I was, while I was that age, that age of just like, ugh, like terribly low self-esteem, I, I had just kind of gotten out of a stutter. I had not really found a love of people yet. And here I am standing in a Tuesday evening service for a year and a half, and the worship just goes and goes and goes. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes. Now, some of you guys are thinking, that sounds awesome. I agree now, but I didn't then, and that's where I'm going to leave this story, and we're going to come back to it in a few minutes about how God changed that mindset. I ask you to turn to Psalm 95. We're going to read the first couple verses here. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. First point, that's right, we got two blanks in the first point, keeping you guys guessing. We can, we can sing or shout, and why, why do I say that? Because, well, Psalm 95 says it, but also Psalm 100 says, shout unto the Lord, make a joyful noise, right? So we're going to practice. I feel like every preacher who touches on this subject inevitably makes his congregation yell at the top of their lungs, I am no different. And so, you know, I, I love that in between worship songs, we're so overcome with gratitude for what our Savior has done for us that we're clapping and praising. And I want to give you guys another opportunity to practice that muscle of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And so when I say three, two, one, go, I want you guys not to cheer and clap for me, but for the Savior who saved you from all of your wicked ways, myself included. Three, two, one, go. 
Yeah. I love it. I love it. I can't participate because I'll blow a speaker out. <laughs> so, but it was really good, guys. You sounded great. I, I did it during worship, so, so I, I got my bases covered here. Uh, <laughs> so so the, the first couple points that I'm, I'm getting towards are, are kind of like how we worship, you know, and, and then we're going to kind of end on, on why we worship and, and, and how to and, and what it means Okay, but, but the, the, the first thing that I want you guys to understand is there is no singular correct way to worship, except for a little scripture, which got shared today, actually. It was unplanned, right? The, the, when we worship God, we're supposed to do it in spirit and in truth. When I was in college at Oral Roberts University, Dr. Rutland was there, as some of you might know him from his time at Southeastern or his time at Calvary. Uh, he's awesome. I love him. One of the best communicators I have ever ever heard bar none in my life. And he tackled this verse and in a way that I had never heard it before, in a way that really helped me understand. So I've, I've told you that he said it, so now I can plagiarize it, and it's okay. So the way that he addresses this passage, because it's, it's kind of a, a weird way of putting it, worship in spirit and in truth. That sounds great, but where's the practicality? What does it look like to worship in spirit and in truth? And he had this to say. He said that sometimes the easiest way to define something is to define what it isn't. And so when we read worship in spirit and in truth, he's also saying don't worship in the flesh and falsely. So what what is he saying? He's saying every time you open your mouth and praise God, mean it. And you have a reason to mean it. God has, he just, he deserves it. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. That's another point we're going to get to. But like, God is so good, y'all. He is so good. And, and so when, when we, we worship him, it's supposed to be a, a true thing, something that's, that's real, that when we see him, when we see his works, when we see his heart, we are compelled to worship and to praise and to, to approach him with, with thanksgiving. And so that's what it means to, to, to be true, worship in truth. And so what's the difference between flesh and the spirit? Well, we could spend a lot of time on that one. I could start breaking down what Gnostics believe about, you know, whether the, the flesh is completely evil and corrupt, but the spirit is completely perfect and good. And so sinning in your body doesn't really matter because it's just tainting the flesh and not the spirit. It was one of the very first heresies of the church. And one that's like, it was such an early heresy of the church that Paul talks about it, right? That, that Gnostics were, were just this, this uh, like early, early group that, that was twisting God's words. And so they believed that, that we were so separate between our flesh and our spirit that sin wouldn't corrupt the spirit, so really don't worry about it. Not true. <laughs> sin separates us from God, right? Because that's, that's what it is. Sin is just the act of being uh, uh, outside of, of God's will in some way or another, which therefore separates us from God because we're not moving with him. We're moving away from him. And so to, to worship in, in spirit... What does that mean? What does it mean to not worship in the flesh? It means that even when I don't feel like it. One of my favorite songs, I think it was Matt Redman, Hannah, you can yell out and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that wrote uh, 10,000 Reasons. Awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, in that song, 
It says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. And when I first heard that song, uh, it was years ago, it, it really moved me, like to, to tears moved me, and, and usually still does to this day. I don't know if you've noticed, I cry a lot, right? And so I was hearing this song, what, what immediately came to me was, that when he sat down, when Matt was writing that song, maybe he didn't feel like worshiping. Maybe he was in a rut. Maybe he was in a really rough time. It was hard for him to, to recognize the, the goodness of God. It was hard for him to, to tap into that, gener- uh, that, uh, that uh, gladness, that thanksgiving, the gratitude. And knowing that he couldn't, he instead pleaded with his soul that was within him to do the worship for him because in his flesh he couldn't. And so he's, he's, he's coming into a church service and he's saying, God, everything is falling apart and I don't feel like worshiping you because I feel like you're a million miles away. But I'm going to stand up and I'm going to sing the song anyway. I'm going to lift my hand anyway. And I don't feel it, but Spoiler alert, worship is not about feelings. Worship is not about emotions. Worship is about God. Full stop. And it's more than just music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is is saying that God is number one in my life, and everything I do points to that fact. There's a uh, story that, that my wife shared with me that uh, was profound, I think. We were in college, and she was talking about a uh, uh, time in her life where Hannah loved watching American Idol. American Idol's fine. The voice is better. (laughs) But uh, if you've ever watched American Idol, then you know that once you get to, like, the, the final 10 or top 8 or 4 whatever they do for that particular season, they'll start sending out film crews to the hometowns of their contestants and and have a live feed of the people in their town cheering them on and just just getting so excited for their person to do their, their performance in the competition. And when Hannah was watching this one time, and if you've ever watched this, you've seen that those people are kind of intense. They get like, like if you ever heard the term rabid fan, like that applies to these folks cheering for the person from their hometown that's on American Idol, as if they get some like reflected glory if that person wins. Like I'm from Milwaukee, but we got a guy in American Idol, so yay, I'm going to claim that and it's, it's my thing. Uh, I think a lot of us, we might be more familiar with that with like sports. And for some reason, it's like college sports. Like, like I, I have yet to meet a UCF grad that did not, like, bleed black and gold in every conversation. Like, I can be talking about Jesus, and they start bringing up the UCF Knights, and I'm like, I didn't go there. I don't care. Sorry. I just offended two-thirds of you guys. But they're so rabid. Why are they so rabid? Why are they so passionate? And she was talking to her mom, and her mom had this bit of wisdom. Real quick, as an aside, I'm not saying this because Hannah's here, but, like, I don't, like, make the in-law jokes that people who are married make because I have, like, the best in-laws ever. They're, like, amazing. So 
two thumbs up for the parents that you got born into. Um, <laughs> but it, it was so wise what she, what she shared. And, and so Hannah was asking, like, man, why are they just so something? And her mom had this to say. She was like, you know, we were created to worship. And if we don't worship God, we'll worship something else. Because we were created to worship. I know, that's like, that's the sermon right there. Like, it's incredible. And, and, and so it's, it, it, it convicts me, right? Because when I'm, you know, watching the things that I really enjoy and I get really into it, you know, am I that excited at church? Am I that excited during worship? And I'm not saying that to, to shame or, or guilt any of you guys for like loving sports or loving com- competition shows or like, it's fine. You're allowed to enjoy those things. I enjoy them too but they're not God. And if I can get riled up in front of a TV, I can get riled up in the presence of God too. Again, it's not about emotion. It's about recognizing who God is and that he deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. And so that's, uh, again, jumping ahead of myself. So I'm just going to give you point number two. Uh, recognizing that it's not for us, it's, it's for him. Worship is for him, right? And that's why I can worship regardless of the style uh, that Sunday morning, right? I can worship if we're singing a hymn. I can worship if we're singing a contemporary Christian song. I can worship if we don't have a live band and we're watching uh, a YouTube video of a worship song, right? Because I don't need a guitar or a mic or a keyboard or choir to worship God. I just need to worship God, right? And, and so uh, when, we, when we enter into that reality, when we recognize that, that he is the one that worship is for, not us, then we can actually start to just let go of stuff. And we can let go of that stuff. Like when, when we talk about like leaving something at the foot of the cross, easiest time to do that in the middle of worship. In the middle of worship, when, when, you have, when you put your hand up or you cross your hands or you put them in your pockets or you put them behind your back, I do all the above, okay? There's, there's no, like, one right place to put your hands when you're worshiping, all right? But when we worship, we are just so intimately connected with God. The, 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 the pains and the distractions and the worries, that stuff starts to melt Away, And that's one of the reasons, again, why I love 10,000 Reasons. It's recognizing that sometimes in my flesh, man, I don't have the strength to even stand up right now. I need to sit. How am I supposed to dance in the street for Jesus when I'm exhausted all the time? You don't have to dance in the street. You just have to bring him gratitude and and thanksgiving. I I love it because the the reality is that... Every other religion out there, there's stuff you got to do to earn heaven or paradise or whatever you want to call it, right? We can't actually do that in our faith, right? When, when, we, when we read scripture, we know that we can't earn our way into heaven. We can't earn our way uh, uh, through those, those pearly gates. We can't live a good enough life. There is no such thing. We are, none of us, good. We are all wretched. Sorry if you didn't know that. But hey, that means rock bottom, everywhere's up from here. So 
when we recognize that, that worship isn't about us, when we recognize that it's for him, when it's not about emotions, but it's about gratitude and thanksgiving, it releases us to just worship and not be so distracted all the time. And so I'm going to uh, go to Ephesians 2. You're welcome to uh, turn there as well. And we're going to talk about point number three, which I'm going to give you now because I've kind of already let the cat out of the bag. But this is the point we're going to kind of like sit on for a bit. And it's that we recognize that he has earned our praise. He has earned our praise. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, I'm actually, I'm just going to read the text and then we'll go back to my story. I was going to do it the other way around, but I feel like God wants me to start with the scripture. So, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to read all the way through verse 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We're going to stop right there. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul is giving a coroner's report. You were, you were in the morgue. You were done. All right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. Rich Mullins, one of my favorite worship uh, artists, I guess you could say, passed away when I was a child in the 90s, but I grew up listening to his music. My parents had all of his albums, and it was on all the time to this day. He might be my favorite lyricist. It's just when you read the text of these songs that he wrote, that's the kind of faith I want. It is so simple and so genuine and so real. Uh, and yet, he also had some, some silly songs that, uh, not silly songs with Larry, if you're a VeggieTales person, uh, but he had some uh, songs that, that weren't so, like, serious. And there's one called Screen Door, and it, it opens with, it's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Now, that's something that I heard growing up, but it wasn't directed at, well, it was directed at me, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, but screen, you're, it's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Faith without works just ain't happening, right? And the, the Bible says faith without works is, is dead. And, and what this passage in Ephesians 2 tells us is that the, the works don't bring salvation. Salvation brings the works. That once you have been saved, you can enter into the good works that, guess what? He prepared in advance for you to do. He paved the way. He set the course. 
So when you're saved, when you give yourself over to him, when you're worshiping him in spirit and in truth, you are released to do good works. It is not a, it is not a, 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 a cause for salvation. It's a product of salvation. And so once you are saved, then the good works come. You don't need to do all the good works in order to earn the right to walk through those doors and give your life to Christ. Because guess what? You can't do any good works without them. John 15, as you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. The only good works we can do are with him, which means that we can't brag, boast, or be worried about doing enough good things because we recognize the only good things we ever do are Christ in us doing them. And so we just, we give that to him and it it takes the pressure off. It takes the fear off. About August of last year, I, I gave you guys this, this sermon that, that just, when I learned this about myself, this idea that we're not being graded by God, if you remember that, uh, it, it, it wrecked me when I first heard it. And there was a story I was going to share that I ended up not. And so this is a note to, to anyone who wants to uh, go into preaching or teaching at some point. If you don't use a story save it, you might use it a year and a half later. And it so perfectly fits in here. And so I'm just going to read this to you. It's, it's very short. In his book, Scandalous Freedom, Steve Brown tells the story of his daughter, Robin. Robin was in an AP English school, in high school, uh, AP English class in high school. And after the first two days, she was freaking out because it was so hard. She, she gets home from, from school. She tells her dad, I've got to get out. I can't do this class. It's going to wreck my GPA. And Steve was like, eh, okay, hold on, like one second. Like, like she comes in the door, it's like tears running down her face. And he's like, let's just, just take a second. Like, talk me through it. Like, what's going on? And she's like, I just, I can't do it. It's going to wreck my GPA. Like, scholarships, college, da-da-da-da-da. Like, you can list off all those things, the stressors, the pressure that she was under. This is a real story, by the way. So then, Steve calls her AP English teacher, uh, sets up a meeting, the three of them get together, and Steve isn't there to berate the teacher, he's there to, to partner with the teacher and say, like, how can we help my daughter? Right, she's struggling. And, and so when they sit down, though, before he can have a chance to really share any of that, Robin just opens with, I gotta get out of this class, it's gonna wreck my GPA, you know, and she's like, starts, the tears are coming back again, the, the pressure is building inside of her, and Robin is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second, not Robin, her, her teacher. Robin is the, the, the girl, right? The teacher is like, hold on. Like, it, what's up? And she's like, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it, it's too much. And so the teacher says, look, I want you in my class. It was a small class, if, if you guys remember when you were in high school three years ago, right? The uh, uh, classes, they would have minimums. If, if it was not a core class mandated by the state, you had to have a minimum amount of students. And if you didn't, the class was cut. And so she was like, I need you in my class. Please stay. And Robin's like, I can't. I can't do it. It's going to wreck my GPA. And the teacher says, I really want you in my class. Would it make a difference if I told you that I'm going to give you an A right now? Would you stay in my class then? And Robin goes, serious? She goes, I'm absolutely serious. She pulls out her grade book, goes down to Robin's name, goes all the way to the end of the semester and writes A, closes the grade book. And then Robin is like, 
why? She's like, I want you in my class. Go, learn, enjoy. I know what you're all thinking. Where was that teacher when I was in high school? <laughs> right? But no, what, what, what Robin is thinking and what Steve is thinking about this moment right now is like, what an amazing display of grace. God has done that for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, you were objects of wrath. You were dead in your transgressions. But God, but God. He gave us that A. He's not grading us. The good works come after the salvation. He is so wonderful. Uh, how many of you can honestly say that God has delivered you out of something that you had no idea how you were ever going to get through? I know I can raise my hand for that. He has earned our worship. So now I want to go back to when I was 16 years old. And I was in that young adult service. And worship was going and going and going. It's like 20 minutes into the worship. I'm like deeply offending Bruce right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were standing. We didn't have pews. We just had like those, uh, those chairs with the little like metallic flaps on the side so they like lock into each other. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced those chairs. They're really frustrating when you don't know that they're connected and you're trying to like move one and you pull like six chairs and throughout your back. Um, so I was standing in, in like my row, right? And I was about three or four rows back. The lights were dimmed. There was a fog machine. There was like blue light everywhere. I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was very young adults in the 2000s. And <laughs> so uh, I was standing behind this chair and the worship was going on. And I was like at, at a different point in my life. I, I drummed a bit. And so uh, I was just kind of like really bored and just kind of like hammering out the beat on the chair in front of me because they weren't sitting. So I wasn't bothering anyone. And it was padded, so they couldn't really hear me. And I'm just like, dear God, let this end. You know, like I was just so bored. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I can count on one hand, genuinely on one hand, the number of times I would ever say that I believe God audibly spoke to me. One hand. Okay. I've been doing this for a long time. All right. I, I want you guys to know that I don't over-spiritualize things. I, I don't say, thus saith the Lord, hardly ever. The, the arrogance required to just say that every time I share my opinion is astounding. But, but this is one of a very small number of times I genuinely feel in that moment I heard God speak to me. And as I was standing there behind that chair, strumming away, bored out of my skull, I hear this voice One sentence, John, am I not worthy of your worship? I lost it. In a moment, God had revealed this, this supreme truth to me, that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the style of worship. It wasn't about whether or not it was going for one song or three songs or 30 songs. It doesn't matter because it's not about me. I worship him because it's about him, because he has earned it, because he is worthy of our worship. And uh, that, that, that wrecked me, <laughs> like, like significantly. And uh, I, never, uh, I never recovered. <laughs> 
I, uh, I've loved worship ever since. And um, Hannah and Bruce, if you want to uh, get ready, they're going to do a song for us in a moment. God is like, he's like super cool. You know? The way that, that he's talked to me in, in my life, it's the things that God has said to me, if a pastor said them to me or a friend said them to me or a teacher said them to me, I would probably get offended. You know, in some way, I would, my insecurity would come out. But God has such a way of, of just getting past all of that because he's not trying to condemn us. He's not, he's not trying to mock us. He's not trying to insult us. He, he just wants us to, to be with him. And... The, uh, the, the, the words that are in the, uh, the, the final point there, they're, they're on your notes. It's, he transforms our mind. In that passage in the, the second book of Chronicles, uh, go back, read it sometime. It's about King Jehoshaphat. And it's about when the Moabites and the Ammonites were attacking. And he was stressed like super stressed, like couldn't get out of bed in the morning, stressed. God came to him, talked to him, helped him out a little bit, gave him some courage, but his mind didn't change, his, his feelings didn't change until he got up in his tent and started to worship. Because the, the, the beautiful reality is that while worship is for God and not for us, he can't help himself but to heal us with his very presence. And we know that he inhabits our praises. We know that he is here. He is inside each of you. He loves you. And when you worship him, it transforms your mind, your, your perspective, and ultimately your circumstances.